at least for B2B, it's more important to understand how decisions are made than who actually makes them. And number two is that if you have that aligned view, it will create a better product or better services across the entire organizations and make the work of all departments more customer-centric. Project A Podcast. My name is Julian, I'm from Store2B, and I want to talk to you about something that we at Store2B call the customer decision journey. Who of you think they know what a customer decision journey is with a raise of hand? Ah, that's not too many, so we got to work a little bit on the branding. Um, who of you at least think they know what we're trying to mean by a customer decision journey with a raise of hands? Yeah, some more. Okay, so I'll try to shed a little bit more light in the dark um, throughout the course of this talk. But first, I want to give you a little bit background and context how I ended up with that topic. I joined Store2B last summer, um, and as I'm in charge of marketing, everyone was looking at me all excited, like, can we launch a new marketing campaign? Um, before I went to Store2B, I worked three years in consulting at Bain & Company, and if anything taught me three years in consulting, it was if someone asks you to do something, you answer with a question and with a framework, right? So <laughs> when people looked at me, um, hey, can we launch a new marketing campaign? I came up uh, with a simple question. What is the one, the one value proposition? And the question can come in different ways, right? The one benefit, the one problem we're trying to solve for a customer that we should communicate to our customer. And it's always about that one thing we need, you know, in order to market our service or products to whoever our customer is. And I asked that question to different people at Store2B. I asked the CEO, I asked the head of operations, I asked the sales guys, and I got very different answers. And first I was confused and a little bit surprised, but then when I thought about it, it made total sense because depending on who you work with on the customer side, our CEO usually talks to executive level customers, sales and operations guy, well, they talk more with the operational customers. They get very different insights, what, who the customer is, how decisions are made. Um, and if there's, um, so I got those very different answers. Um, and so we sort of huddled up all in one room and try to make sense of all of that. And if there's one thing, or actually if there's two things I want you to remember from this talk today, it's number one, at least for B2B, it's more important to understand how decisions are made than who actually makes them. And number two is that if you have that aligned view, it will create a better product or better services across the entire organizations and make the work of all departments more customer-centric. So I think most of us, when talking about who's our customer, thinks about the left thing, marketing persona. It can come in different ways or colors, but it usually looks something like this, right? There's an inspiring picture usually, there's some demographic variables, age, gender, there's needs, uh, hobbies, whatever. Um, and that's very good in order to answer the question, who's actually the customer, what do they need, who calls the shots? What I think not so many of us do is putting that in a big perspective, because we're not in P2C, so usually our customer is not one single person, but it's usually a group of persons, it's an organization. And we heard in other talks, um, uh, especially in the last talk where they had um, you know, very different 
benefits for different customers. We also heard it in the very first talk today. It's all about interaction between different customers, right? So it can be about hierarchies. It can be ac about accountabilities. That's what I meant with executive level versus operational level. It can be relationships within the customer, between the customers, but also with their supplier, right? So if they have very strong relationship with their supplier, it's fairly hard for us as a new product or new service to break up that tie. It can be processes. Is it something, the buying cycle that is quarterly? Is it monthly? Is it yearly? Um, and again, same as sort of for the marketing persona, different customers and also different organizations have different motives. And this is really about how decisions are made. So what I want to show you in the course of this, uh, of this talk is kind of the framework or the questions we ask ourselves at store to be in order to really find out what actually our customer decision, decision journey is and then also give you um, some insights what we actually came up with. So it basically consists of, of five parts. It all starts with decisions, right? So a decision, basically the customer decision journey is you start all the way from the customer has never heard of my service or product. Maybe they sometimes they even they don't know that a service or a product like ours exists in the first place, right? That's kind of the first decision. How do they sort of know it? All the way to they call us, they get in touch with us, they book with us, or they buy our product, and at the very end, they become loyal customers, happy customers, and recurring customers. And through, throughout that course of that journey, there's decisions. So it's kind of a chronological order, right? This is a sequential order. There's decision makers. So this is the one person who signs the contract, who owns basically that decision. There's input, which can be other people. We heard in the last talk, there's influencer, there's champions, and there's decision makers. There's criteria, so it's kind of the check marks that needs to be fulfilled in order to move on to the next decision. And kind of as the bonus, there's the extra mile. So what's kind of the little gifts, the little things on top we can do to make the customer experience uh, even better. So I want to walk you through all of those. Um, and then I also want to invite you to um, try to apply the questions, the concepts to your customers, to your business problems, and see if that uh, takes you a little bit further. So let's start with decisions. So typical decisions can be, you know, in our case, we're a marketing company. We sell to marketing managers. So the marketing managers to, uh, decides to buy something, a new CRM tool, a new marketing campaign, um, or the CEO wants to digitalize something. I mean, most of CEOs want to digitalize something. Least of them know what they're actually trying to digitalize, but that can be one of the decisions in, in the journey. And what really helped us is to think about the first moment where the customer get in touch, get in touch with you. So they can call you, they can send you an email, they, I don't know, end up on your website and fill out a form, because from that moment, you pretty much know what the customer is doing, what, what they're thinking. So it's kind of, it's well known what they do, but it's really hard to put really the customer perspective on. I've experienced that at Store2B a lot, and it's also, um, I think, hard for everyone out there. If it's really hard to imagine, and I think it's superhuman, um, it's really hard to imagine once we know something, once we have a certain perspective on things, in this case on the customer, to change perspective and to act like we never heard of our service, we never heard of our product, right? So this is 
usually where things are well known, but it's really, really hard to imagine being the customer. On the other hand, it's vice versa. It's less known what actually happens until a customer calls you. I mean, who of you is really, really certain, like 100% certain, what happens until the customer actually ends up on the website, on the telephone, on an email? We all have our hypothesis, and it's fine, but I think the least of us are really, really certain what happens. But then again, the good part of it, it's rather simple, rather easy to put on the customer perspective because, you know, if you don't know anything, it's kind of easy to imagine you're someone else. So I would invite you to think about what are the decisions from the customer. Again, the customer never heard of your product, never heard that there's a product like yours out there, all the way to calling you to become a happy, loyal customer at the end. And there's maybe there's 10 decisions, maybe there's 20, maybe there's 50. The next step is then the decision maker. Um, and I think here it's, it's, this is probably the hardest part of it all because there's always a group of people usually deciding in B2B and it's really hard to understand who is the one calling the shots, who is the one signing the contract. Um, and a, what I found a powerful question is who is actually the one that can say no, right? It's fine if everyone says yes, but who's the one who can say no, right? Who's sort of the Donald Trump on that table? If everyone is like, yes, 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 we're not giving out any money for the wall, who's the Donald Trump who can say no? And boom, there's a wall, right? So only if you ask this question, you will find out who the real decision maker is. And it doesn't matter if you, you know, cater your services, your messages to the table around, and then there comes Donald Trump, he wants his wall, so it doesn't matter if you have very factual arguments why a wall doesn't make any sense. What we at Store2B found almost the hardest part was to find the right balance between is the decision maker actually the executive, is it the CEO, or is it the operational level? Because usually the user of the product, the ones who really need to love your product, they're the operational guys. They're using on a day-to-day -day basis. But oftentimes, they're not the one at the end deciding, yes, I'm going to buy the product. Oftentimes, there's some CEO, CTO, head of procurement involved in the process who, to be honest, probably has no idea what your product is, and he's never going to use it or she's never going to use it, but you know, maybe they're calling the shots. Third thing, input. And this is, again, to the Trump example. There's a lot of people at the table, and everyone who's not the decision maker, they're the one giving input. And this can come in two different ways. It can become, it can uh, come as people in the organization, um, the right hand of the CEO, for example, the data guy, we all know that silent one. You know, we all had that business meeting where everything went well until that one guy who sat in the corner who shut up the entire time, five minutes before signing the deal was like, yeah, but I have one question. And then it was the most smartest and most annoying question ever because it blew up the whole thing, right? And if you know that this silent guy influences significantly how decisions are made, you might want to cater um, your message towards him. Or it can be as simple as the CEO, who, like I said, has no idea what happens, but at least at the end of the day, signs the contract. 
And the second part of it, it can be sources from outside, right? So if you have a great sales call, what happens then? Do people call their friends and colleagues and say, hey, I, had, uh, I have this offer on the table, what should I do? Do they go to Google? We heard Quora earlier today. Are there benchmarking competitors? Right? It can be powerful if you know, they look up what competitors are doing, they're using your product, can be very um, convincing. Or are they reading any sort of you know, studies, white papers, research? And this is where you actually want to show up. So if you know your customer, in order to you know, make business with them, they're going to Google you, it's pretty simple that you, know, you need to show up in Google. And the hard part is not you know, um, appearing on Google. I think there's uh, well-known tools to do that. But the question is, do they actually Google you, or do they do something completely different? Um, and on the left side, of course, like I said, you want to target all, this, all those guys, even though, of course, the decision maker is, at the end of the day, the, the most important guy. Number four is criteria. And really see that as the check marks that needs to be set in order that a certain decision maker moves on to the next step. Right? If you can't meet the criteria because your product at least sucks, at least for this sort of customer, they're not going to move on. There's two sort of types of criteria. There's hard factors and there's soft factors. The first thing you'll notice is there's way more soft factors, which is, I think, a good thing because we're all working in marketing and sales, so we know the truth always depends a little bit how we frame it. So soft factors, of course, you can change and tweak a little bit depending on who your customer is. The hard factors, these are usually you know, product factors like you know, the quality, the speed, are you able to cater to your customer needs within for weeks if they're in a hurry, maybe tomorrow if they're in a hurry, and the costs, right? If you're selling something, you can't just give 50% off just because. The soft factors, there's many, right? Trust, I think standout potential is something that is usually underrated. By standout potential, I mean that, you know, sometimes people just want to be in the middle of attention and they want to show how great they are and that they came up with like something super innovative. So give them the stage, right? Give them the stage only if they can shine with your product, they will actually buy it or they will actually make the decision in order to buy it. What we found most hard to change and also hard to kind of get behind is habits. Right? Our product is something that people buy on a project basis. So it's not like they buy it for once and then they're kind of locked in for the next two years or so. So the habit of doing marketing campaigns through, through Store2B over and over again was something or is still something really hard to understand and really hard to change. Right? So this was kind of our focus thing right here, where we felt that was kind of the red line throughout all decisions. But if you go through, you know, try to find your one pet peeve that you just can't get behind. And then last thing, the extra mile. There I don't have, to be honest, no great consultant framework except SpongeBob. Um, and a question that I find really powerful is most people, if you, know, if you want to wow the customer, don't think the best you can do it. 
don't be limited by the restrictions of your service, of your product, of your anything. Really think about the best that can be done. And only if you go there, then check the feasibility of your idea. Because, I mean, think of Netflix, for example. Um, I think it probably hurts Netflix if some people, maybe some people even here in the audience, run through Netflix for the last two years on like changing fake email addresses and getting, getting like a free month over and over again. It sucks for Netflix, but it's really great for the customer. It's really great customer experience. And I think only if you go that far and allow sort of your business to be hurt by creating a better customer experience, this is how you get the extra mile and this is how you really wow the customer. So for, for example, for us, Another important topic was predictability. Um, so we thought a lot about, and we haven't implemented it yet, to be honest, if predictability is such a strong sort of criteria or factor for our customer, shouldn't we do like a guarantee? Shouldn't we guarantee the customer a certain success measure when doing marketing? And if not, they're getting their money back, or they're getting some money back, or they're getting next thing for free, whatever, right? So if that's your main criteria. Think how can you create the best experience on that criterion for your customer. So if you ask, okay, yeah, but a lot of things, you know, I get it, but to be honest, I have no idea. Start with a hypothesis. That's what we did. We basically played a little gamble, a little guessing game, right? It, it's not gonna take you all the way, but instead of 0%, you at least get to 50, 60, 70% through you know, experience from your sales guys, from your ops, from whatever you picked up uh, during your customer interactions. And then validate. Don't start with like a big fuzzy questionnaire to find out the entire customer journey. Try to build the hypothesis and then you will soon you know, recognize that for some of the decisions you will be pretty certain how they are done and who actually makes them. But for some, you have, to be honest, no idea whatsoever what happens there. And this is where you want to talk to customers, you want to collect data, you want to analyze maybe comp competition or talk to competitors to have that really, really uh, narrow blind spots sort of uh, filled with, with insights. So let me show you, and we don't have to go th through all the details, the customer decision journey of Store2B. Um, to give you some background, we're a booking platform for live and event marketing spaces. So basically what we do is, if you're a marketeer, you want to pop up in a shopping mall or you want to have a food truck in front of Berlin Central Station, you can book, you can book the spaces where the food truck you know, uh, is located through us. So basically what Airbnb has done for you know, booking uh, rooms or booking hotels, that's what we're trying to do for, for live marketing spaces. So we cater to three different sort of customers and you find them all here. We have brands, so this is usually Coke, for example, who wanna have a Coke Christmas truck in front of Sony Center, whatever. And then we have agencies. And within agencies, we have specialized agency who you know, don't do anything but book spaces. And we have media agencies who take care of the entire media mix of a customer. And you'll see that for all of those three customer types, we go from the very left to the very right. So for us, the first step is, for example, for a brand, is that probably on an annual basis, 
they take the budget, they think about what do I want to spend in marketing for the next uh, 12 months, and then they're sort of try to allocate it at least high level to a channel. And then it runs all the way until someone at the brand, in this case the brand manager, evaluates the event that has happened through Store2B. And there's, I didn't count, but I don't know, 10 decisions in between. The same happens on the agency level, and we also mapped sort of the interactions between it, because of course some of the brands might you know, take into account an agency, and then the budget goes from here to there and back, and so on. And this really helped us to understand as an entire company what happens actually from the customer has no idea that store-to-be happens but wants to do marketing until the very end where an event has happened, is evaluated, and ideally the evaluation is, yeah, it went great, let's do it, let's book through store-to-be again. Then what we did is take the dimension that I just showed you, so the decision maker, the input, the decision criteria, and really define it for each individual step in the journey, right? So in this case, um, the project manager here considers live marketing as a marketing channel. So the account manager or project manager is, is the decision maker. There's certain input probably from the CEO or from the director. Maybe there's even press involved where they read, okay, it's important to you know, pop up offline and not only do Facebook marketing. Um, and then there's a whole lot of decision criteria, measurability, convenience, habits, and so on. And really map that for every, for every decision. So we have like a really long Google sheet where basically the different departments put in um, what they think is true. And then you can see also here a lot of ideas how we think we could, or what we could do in order to really wow the customer. And this is basically the, the long list of product features of marketing messages and so on and so on um, that you can then sort of tackle one after another. And I think the true power now comes in if you combine marketing persona and the customer decision journey. Because now all of a sudden you don't have this static marketing persona on an individual level sort of in a vacuum now you kind of know how they interact. So you know this guy, but you also know if this guy has anything to do with this girl. Right? Before, without the journey, you know, okay, he needs that, she needs that. Okay, let's, maybe they're two different target groups. But you never realize that throughout the whole process, they might sit on the same table all the time. They might look at the same Google sites or blogs or whatever all the time. And I just want to show you as a, as a last thing for today how this really helped different departments. Um, and I mean, I'm telling you all of this because I think marketing and sales should be in charge of driving that alignment. But I think everyone will benefit because marketing and sales usually are the two departments who are in touch with the customer the most often. So they probably have, can make the best hypothesis on how the customer uh, journey really looks but everyone will benefit. So we used that actually on a company strategic level where we said if we look at the entire journey, where do we as a company think most customers actually fall out of that journey, right? If we go back here, for example, is, you know, if here and you can see the star and that's for us like a moment of truth because if we lose kind of this decision, everything will fall apart. If in step four on the top, um, the brand manager doesn't decide to do live marketing, 
Yeah, that kind of sucks. So if we as a company think that this is the most important decision, we should focus all of our energy in kind of making sure that in this decision, all criteria are met, the customer is wowed, and he can move on to the next step. It can also be powerful for data and CRM, right? You can look at data to find out where in the customer decision journey actually the conversion rate sort of is the lowest. You can also look for data. You can ask your data and CRM team to say, okay, we're totally blind when it comes to this certain decision. Can we actually get data on it? And how can we get data there? Product, right up, what are the product features we need in general? And what are kind of the best things or the best sort of decisions where we need sort of an automated process? And marketing and sales, um, obviously, what's the one value proposition that we should communicate? Question from the beginning. And for sales, and I think sales is especially important here because first, of course, they sell to the customer. So it's important to understand what's the timing, the frequency, the format of those different interactions. But then also sales can be used sort of as a, almost like a research team to find out specific things about the customer. For example, um, after having done that at Store2B, we implemented what we call an after sales call. So as soon as someone has done business with us, two or three weeks later, we call them and we just ask for feedback. And if we have any questions or any blind spot in the customer decision journey, we just tell sales and they can use that after sales call in order to gather that information so we become kind of smarter and smarter and have a better understanding about our customer journey. So try to think of the two things I wanted you to remember at the beginning of the, of the talk. There were in B2B, the how is more important than the who and hopefully um, I gave you some or invited you to um, think, think about of some of the house. And number two, having that aligned view will not only increase your sales efficiency or your marketing quality, but it will make your company more customer-centric um, as an entire organization. In this sense, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.